that there is really a lot of hope. And we want to thank you all for what you've all done to contribute to this. And we look forward to working with you all in the future. Thank you, Lynn. And you know, we really need to acknowledge Connect Summit County as one of the factors that make this ready to happen now. The fact that we can actually work on mental wellness in this community is partly due to the fact that we have an organization that's really advocating for it. So we're very lucky that you guys did that, that you took the initiative to do it. So thank you. I'm going to move to Katie. Um, Katie, you know, it's going to take uh, people, it's going to take money, organizations to make a difference on mental wellness in Summit County. How do donors get involved? How do volunteers get involved? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, in the world of philanthropy, we always talk about time, treasure, and talent. And I believe that everyone in this room probably has at least one of those things, if not all three, to lend to these efforts. So in terms of time and talent, I just encourage you throughout the day to connect with all the organizations that are making good work possible here in Summit County. There's tables um, with nonprofits representing and most um, of the experts in the community are serving on the panel of breakout sessions later this afternoon. So if there's someone or some organization that really speaks to your passion and interest, please introduce yourself. And I, I know that they would love to connect you with volunteer work at their organization. Um, if you're not sure exactly where you plug in, but you have the passion and willingness to do some work on these efforts, um, please connect with Ali, my colleague, he, and along with the other partners, have been really diligent in organizing um, committees really focused on different things from increasing services, working within the criminal justice, communications, funding, and I know we could put your time and talent to work on those committees. Um, if treasure is um, something that you bring to the table, um, once again, please introduce yourself to some of the fa fabulous organizations doing work here, I have no doubt that they would not hesitate to put your donation to work quickly. Um, but if you're not quite sure where you fit in, the Community Foundation has started a field of interest fund to help fund these efforts. One thing that we believe in is that there's no silver bullets, but there are silver shrapnel, and that there are many different programs and strategies that we need to all put into place to realize this long-term vision. And so if you're willing to put funds towards that, those efforts, whatever they end up being, our highest priorities, um, through this fund, we will make sure that dollars are going to whatever this group prioritizes as most important and where it can be most effective. Um, and then I just want to echo what Lynn said and say that I feel a, a lot of hope. I think that when you just look at this issue, maybe on a national headline, you think, huh, how are we ever going to tackle these? But I believe really strongly that we can do it here in our community. We have just incredible resources in the expertise and experiences and resources of all of you here in the room. And we can make this a real, a real thing in our community to serve our community members. So I'm very hopeful and I thank everyone for their time and participation today. Thank you, Katie. Um, so I'm going to ask a couple of other brief questions of some of you, and um, and uh, but start thinking about what questions you might want to ask these folks. I want to also acknowledge that when we're done with the panel, which is uh, about 11:15, we're actually going to take probably about a half an hour to just 
all of us talk, share ideas, and so forth. So uh, when we get to the question part of this, maybe we keep it more toward questions, and when we get to the, uh, the open forum, we keep it more toward the, the ideas and, and thoughts. Um, Nan, I, I've been wondering, you know, how do you feel like um, Park City government, as well as Summit County, the school districts and others, have, have been very supportive of these efforts. How can we as citizens encourage you, basically, to, to do what you're doing? You're already on the right track. How can we give you the support you need to do this? Talk to us. Let us know what your needs are. Let us know what your thoughts are. Let us know what your solutions are. We love it when people come to Park City Council meetings, and I'm sure I'll speak for Summit County as well, when, when folks come and tell us what's on their mind. Tell us what they see uh, is going on in the community and how that they see that the city could help it, could help with those efforts. And again, I'm looking at Kim and, and kind of echoing that for the county as well. We are elected to represent you. We need to know what, what you're interested in. We are, the Park City Council is absolutely thrilled that this is such a community effort. When we started to think about it and elevated um, a healthy community to one of our top priorities, it was very clear that it's not something that we can do alone. We need the, the support of the entire community. It's got to be a partnership in order to be effective. So um, partner with us. Thank you. Corey, I, was, um, I wanted to follow up with you a little bit. I mean, Vail uh, Resorts seems like a great example of a company that's trying to do it right. What's your advice for other businesses? How, how should other folks follow your lead? I think that's a good question. Um, I kind of, I smile as you say, because uh, when, when I started kind of partnering with their resorts and uh, uh, consulting with them about five years ago, they would, remember I was in a meeting and they were talking about ROI, and uh, I thought that meant the least of information. <laughs> I don't you know return testing. So I, I come from that background. Um, I, I guess my, Advice would be uh, to create those relationships. Uh, you know, jump in uh, with with people, with agencies, with groups that you you might not think would understand or have the have the drive to do. I think what we all think is the right thing in, in terms of creating wellness environments, um, and and assume and hope that they're going to lean in and, and lean in and, and kind of meet them where they're at and uh, facilitate those relationships. Um, and I, I love that piece too of listening. Hearing, you know, um, for me and for a lot of folks I knew, it's a bit of a dance between what goes on in, in the corporate office and, and then what happens at the resorts um, and, and trying to, to hear all different sides of, of those um, kind of different milieus and, and trying to connect those folks around creating that environment of wellness. Excellent, thank you. Um, Tyler, I was, I was thinking, if somebody's a member of a faith community, uh, what do you suggest as a way for them to uh, kind of rally their own community toward this cause? Sounds like a lot of it's already happening, but how can they you know, dig in a little deeper? That's an interesting question. <laughs> um, it, it's difficult, perhaps, to suggest that I have an answer for every congregation, because I certainly do not. Um, but I do think that every congregation is focused on the value of the soul, the value of the one, in some form or another. And when we look at each 
um, person that we know or each uh, other uh, through that lens of each one of us matter, we're all a part of the tapestry. Um, it, it perhaps gives us uh, the desire, and I, I suppose my first response really is to find that inner desire. When we listen to Lynn speak, do we not all, it, it's contagious. Her, her passion and, her, and the story is contagious, and I think having a story, developing a story, is part and parcel to rallying resources. And all of us here probably have stories as well. So what is the story that you have? And can you join that with someone else's story and develop an interest around that story within a congregation, within a community? I, I think it's part of just being willing to, to tell our stories because so many of us have been afraid to share our experiences because society has not rewarded us for doing so. Society has penalized us when we make public these, these very intimate, personal situations. And whether it's the fear of a parent and putting a label on a child so early in their lifetime, and being concerned about what that means to that child's future development because of what society might determine the outcome is going to be, where we can come together and find confidence in that loving, compassionate environment. And then with the talents of professional people bind our stories together, there is hope. Thank you so much. I'm actually, I think I'll open it up to questions um, uh, from folks. Uh, what would you like to ask these guys? Um, Ray, I'm gonna bring you the mic because I don't know if we have an extra one. Nope. Uh, you're in trouble, Ollie, because you're the one that's gonna have to answer this. Can you, can you tell us where we are from the mental health and needs assessment perspective and now into the implementation. Sure, I can take a quick crack at that. And I think when we have our open forum time in a few minutes, um, maybe more specifics will come up. Uh, we formed the Summit County Mental Wellness Alliance, uh, really made the first meeting ever of a steering committee in, uh, in January. And that committee's been meeting um, every month since then. Out of that grew seven different work groups that are focused on uh, increasing service, access, and capacity, uh, criminal justice issues around mental wellness, communities that care is the youth prevention uh, component, uh, there's a community outreach and public relations work group working on making sure people are as connected as possible to this. I want to actually acknowledge uh, Derek Sidway, the Health Department's public information officer, for chairing that and also for helping to publicize this to get us here today. Uh, there's a funding and financial analysis work group. So uh, there's a, going to be a youth involvement work group, but the communities that care piece sort of just got started, so we haven't quite gotten there yet. And uh, data collection and evaluation work group. Um, and so all of those have met except the youth involvement one. We're, we've gotten some things off the ground. Our, really, our goal is to bring back to the community, sometime in August, a set of preliminary recommendations. So this is going to be a long process. It's something that, you know, we won't be done with this for years. What did Leon say? 17 years, 19 years? Overnight 17 years success. <laughs> Overnight 17 years success. So we've got a road ahead. But we got to start somewhere. So the idea is that we get some of these things um, you know, on the table, get some early implementation going, but keep the thinking and planning process going. So we're looking, we're shooting big. We're really trying to make a difference in a big way for the whole county. 
So that's my quick version for now. Um, but I didn't really need to do a lot of talking up here. Man. I have, I have a question for Corey. I think it's extraordinary that um, we have a ski resort that has a wellness manager. I think that's fabulous. Can you characterize maybe the top two or three or four needs that you see among the young other seasonal resort workers? What are their big, biggest issues? Yeah. I look around this room and I've started to get to know more clinicians and um, agencies and, and stuff like that. And I'd, I'd love for them to answer that as well. Um, I, I think a lot of it just kind of mirrors what we're seeing nationally. Um, I, you know, I think there's some uh, unique aspects of, of seasonal work and um, that kind of general folks who transition in and out of, uh, of work every season. Um, you know, but a lot of stuff around around mood, um, around stress, around around depression, a lot of stuff around substance use, um, and and uh, relationships and, and, and family-based issues and concerns I think are are pretty prominent. Um, uh, again, very much nationally, uh, but on a resort level as well. Is Park City have any unique characteristics? Does Park City have any unique characteristics? Yeah, I think it, for my job gets to be really fascinating because uh, I get to connect with all the different resorts. Um, and, you know, on, on one level, uh, culture in, in each resort community, there's some things that are pretty common um, across all those resorts. And, and then there's uniqueness of, I think, each, each community within that resort. Um, you know, specifically uh, here, um, you know, I, I would push that back to the, the clinicians who are, are more local and can, can speak to that more directly. Um, yeah, you know, but, but I also, I think there's um, components of um, just the, the transition from, from Vail coming in and, and what that means in terms of creating a relationship um, with, with Park City employees and how that transition's looked and, and the impact that has, that makes things pretty unique. I think the transition of Park City and Canyons combining um, creates for just some adjustment um, that's been being processed through. So those come to mind kind of immediately. Yeah. Thank you. Who else has a question they'd like to ask uh, anyone on the panel? Uh, it's for Corey as well. Is your EAP program also available to your part-time um, uninsured workers? Yeah, so all the employees, yep, yep. Uh, all key or Park City employees have access to, to the EAP. Um, part-time, as long as they're employed, they have access to it. Anything else? We can, um, if not, we can shift gears. Here's one more, and then maybe we'll uh, shift gears to the open forum. That's again for Corey. Um, I'm very impressed that you have that program where you have access for the employees for, you said, six treatments for six sessions in a year. So and it's, it's six per issue, right? So that's their six, yeah. And but, I always love to leverage that as much so, as you know. uh, how or is there anything in place to encourage, because they're only going to seek help if they ask for help, is there anything that you do to, I guess, encourage 
people to ask for help? Because that's that takes a lot of courage to ask for help. Yeah, I love that question. Uh, that, that to me is really my passion. Um, uh, getting to hear Leon speak and um, his great foundation. So, so much of what, what we're trying to do, our, our mission is, is to get word out about resources in a huge range of ways. Um, so we, we try to um, do upstream programming, upstream um, trainings um, every year around a, a different uh, wellness-based initiative, a different wellness-based topic. Um, always looking to destigmatize, empower that message, and, and within that incorporate what the resources are. We really look to um, strongly connect with managers, uh, with senior leadership, um, and, and, and really send that message of uh, employees caring for employees. So a few years back, one of our initiatives, uh, we call it Caring for a Coworker, Care and Connect, and, and the general message was, we care about each other as employees, let's connect with each other and connect people resources. And a lot of that kind of is just through those personal narratives, appropriate ways of communicating about what folks have been through um, to open up those lines of communication and then making it as easy as possible for folks to get those resources and not put any barriers uh, in the way. I, I speak out of both sides of my mouth with it, but it's almost like we really try to help create that, that organic process to talk more about what these resources are and, and to empower folks to go use them. I see one more question, so we'll go with it. I have grandchildren in, in the elementary schools and in Edgar Hill. I'd like to, and I know what kind of preventive education they've had, but I'd like to know what the resources in the, in the middle of the Treasure Mountain and the high school are as far as education as well as resources for kids to get help when they need it at the school. So I'm not sure anyone on this panel can address that very directly, but I think what I might invite you to do is, if you can stay from uh, 11.50 to 12.30, there's going to be uh, one of the breakout groups is on communities that care uh, around prevention efforts for youth. That group is gonna be right here in this room, um, and uh, one of the panelists is Amber Connolly, our local superintendent of schools, so she may have some specific information, uh, and there are other folks on the panel as well. So I might just, um, with apologies, defer that uh, to that. And if you don't get a chance to ask the question or to talk with them in that setting, follow up with them afterwards or connect with me and I'll, I'll make sure to, uh, to connect you with them. So I think right now, um, I so appreciate the work that all of you are doing on this issue and for the community in general. So please join me in thanking these terrific panelists. You guys are off the hook. <laughs> so I'd like to shift gears and spend um, maybe a half hour or so um, just uh, with you, with your ideas. You know, this has been uh, a lot of information. Um, uh, it's been a lot of information coming at us today. Well, I'd love the information flow to come back the other way. So um, Deanna has a microphone or two, uh, and I would love your thoughts, basically, what do you hope we're gonna address in this process? What are your ideas for doing it right? What are some of the needs that you see that aren't being met and that you think should be met? So, what do you got for me? Don't be shy, just like you were saying a minute ago, you know, don't be scared. This is your chance, we wanna know. 
Hi, my name is Laura. I know a lot of you here. I'm a member of Connect, and I work for the school district. My question is wraparound. How do we define wraparound, and how are we implementing wraparound? I originally am from Connecticut, where I worked in a lot of different programs. Um, and then I worked for the state of Washington, where the only way we could get funding is if we did wrap around, which meant that um, somebody who was a tier three, we had to meet with um, the team, which included first, most importantly, the parent, guardian, foster parent, natural supports, um, all the formal systems, and then the treatment providers. And we created a um, treatment plan crisis plan and we had to have follow-up meetings to assess progress and I'm not sure exactly how we do it here. Um, I work in the elementary and um, for children I know we have a monthly meeting that um, agencies come together and talk about kids. As a parent I have concerns with that. I have a daughter who's 23 and when she was eight she became sick with a mood disorder. She has been diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder. And I have to say, if um, my daughter was being discussed in a community meeting, and these are my colleagues who I trust for great people, but I would be uncomfortable with that. And um, as a parent who's been through, oh my goodness, so much, and only going to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, where my daughter got properly um, medicated, and she's doing great now, um, we've been through so much. As a parent, I'm the case manager. And I look around and I see a lot of other parents who have to be the case manager. And I think there's a disconnect. We need parents more involved in the treatment. And we need systems to come together and work together. Um, we do that anyway. But I think we could consider doing it a little bit differently. That's great advice. Thank you so much. And I, I want to point out Ed Rutan again. Ed is chairing the Increasing Service Access and Capacity Work Group. And one of the questions that they're wrestling with right now is around how do you navigate the system? How do you make sure you're getting all the different needs met? How do you coordinate the care? Case management is another way to talk about it. I love your picture of wraparound services where maybe you're thinking even beyond just the basic mental wellness issue that may be coming up and looking at uh, you know, sometimes in some settings it's around affordable housing or transitional housing or, I mean, all kinds of needs like that come up. Also, the uh, criminal, the, the uh, work group that's working on uh, the criminal justice side of this is chaired by Roy Parker. Roy, if you wouldn't mind just raising your hand. Uh, there he is. Um, and they, too, have a real concern around, okay, we're talking about mental health and or substance use among people involved in the criminal justice system, when they get out of jail or when they get out of wherever they've gotten entangled, what are they going back to? What's, what's there around them? And yes, we need the services that are specific to those conditions, but what's the social surrounding? So I just, I really appreciate your bringing that up. And I, you know, I'm sure you know it because I think I see a Connect uh, um, badge on there. So I hope that you'll continue to, um, to support him and his work group in thinking that through. Um, yes, uh, who else has thoughts that they'd like to share? I do. Yes, can we get a mic? Like I said, I serve on the Veterans Board in Las Vegas, and veterans have problems of not getting enough help mentally, 
and there's been some backlash, of course. You've heard stories, and there was a story of a woman, a lady, young lady, that she killed herself and her two children recently, and her family went back to the VA and said she wasn't getting enough help through the VA. Uh, there's a lack of help. Um, I suggested to some, what are churches' responsibilities in helping people if some of these veterans do go to churches? Um, do you have any idea on that, of, of where else they can get help? I don't know all the specifics of that. I do believe that several of the faith communities here in the Park City area do provide specific supportive uh, elements for folks who are going through mental health crises or mental health challenges. And in general, they're not limited to people of that faith. Uh, they're usually open to anyone who might come to that faith community with a need. At least that's my understanding. I'm not sure if that's you know a universal policy, but that's what, what I'm hearing. Um, but I don't know the specifics of what's available. And I have to say, we haven't talked a lot in this process yet about the specific needs of veterans. So um, that's something that I might also uh, kick over toward Ed and the, the service access and capacity work group to think about also uh, how do we relate to the VA, how do folks who are veterans get the services they need. Is Cindy Levine here? I, I no, no she, she's going to try she's in the doctor's There are some things in the works uh, to, uh, to help veterans and Cindy Cindy has been uh, leading that effort, uh, so it is not uh, being ignored. But I have one more question then. I just, this is no offense to the Mormon Church, okay? No offense to the Mormon Church, okay? But uh, I read in Business Week recently, I don't know how correct this is, that they get seven billion a year in tithing. My mother's paid full tithing. She's been a professor for 40 years. Um, and they give back 0.7%. One of our veterans went to the Mormon church and was denied counseling. So I'm just, this is where I'm wondering where our uh, people in the churches, uh, there could be backlash from this. This person could go and do something and then they'd say, why didn't we help this person? Um, I'm not sure I have any specific answer to that. Um, Tyler Walton, who is here representing the Interfaith Council, maybe somebody that you'd like to touch base, touch base with to, to ask more about that. Who was that? Um, he was uh, here. I don't know if he's still in the room. Um, I think he may have had to come and go, but uh, okay. if you need to connect with him, I can could, I could do that. Um, yes, other thoughts and ideas. What do you hope gets addressed? What are your ideas for things we can be doing? So um, one thing that I've been kind of surprised at listening to parents talk is the level of stress that it seems to be now the norm for kids. So I, of course, I understand there's drama to being a teenager and that there's, you know, some kids are experiencing some really real trauma, but it seems to me that there is this thing now that when you're a kid, it's just normal to be highly stressed. And I hope that we as a community really work on our culture so that childhood is not um, by its very nature deeply stressful that's just doesn't seem right to me there's a really interesting nonprofit based in the um in silicon valley called challenge success whose whole thesis is that schools could be better organized 
to not overemphasize achievement. That by, uh, by emphasizing other parts of the, the experience of being in school and what kids are getting out of it, they can have a lot healthier experience there. That's something that I think we're trying to connect with just to understand how could we apply some of those principles. But I, I, you know, certainly this is the perfect time to be feeding ideas into this process. Because among other things, we're making a list of things that might be good for the community. And then we have to go back through and say, okay, which ones seem most likely to make a difference as soon as possible? So now's a great time to be making suggestions. Um, I just wanted to speak about the um, students that you're talking about that are very stressed. Um, this year has been a particularly stressful year, I think, regarding death for our students. We had the two students in the beginning of the year. Um, some teachers have lost spouses. <clears throat> And then recently there was the um, band student who passed away. And talking with my sons who were in the school district, they said that immediately after, there's counselors available for the kids to speak with. Um, but not necessarily a week later, when you kind of realize, this is really getting to me. I can't stop thinking about this. Um, I feel hopeless. And I don't really feel like um, I'm empowered to do anything about this. And who can I go to? So in speaking with several other parents whose students have kind of brought up the same thing, you know, um, dealing with things on their own timeline. It may not be the next day that they're ready to speak with a counselor. Um, but talking with other parents, we've gone to the jeans and lattes and um, it's been really helpful um, talking with Ember and um, having the school district be available. But we can't even get an appointment to speak with the school counselors because they're so busy planning end of year counseling to um, prepare for the next year and they're so busy academically um, helping students that they're not necessarily available to help with maybe um, a more maybe not necessarily critical, but a more timely issue that a student might have um, that might be struggling. Uh, and, and so we're trying to decide as parents who is available for our kids, um, where would they feel comfortable uh, going. Maybe not. Maybe it's not like I need to set up an appointment and get a school or get a psychologist and have something kind of ongoing, but maybe just someone for a half hour or, or someone just kind of available like that. So I would like to see something where um, all of these groups can connect and you know find something like that so someone is more readily available on for the students on their own timeline and dealing with issues. Thank you so much for, for bringing that up. And, and I, I love the fact that you know you're both elevating an issue that's real for the community and also suggesting that we as a community find ways to address it. Because sometimes people put a lot of uh, reliance on, say, the school district. How come the school district isn't solving this? And I mean, they're really trying. Sitting right at your table, we have Sam Walsh and Allison Vallejo um, of the school district who are intervention specialists. Am I on the right track? Yes. And, uh, and so their job largely is working with situations like that. But they, uh, they probably don't feel like they're enough of them either. And <laughs> so. So I think, you know, as the, as the school thinks about its budget, but as we as a community think about our budget and our commitment, we can think about creative ways to meet more of these needs. That's one of the things that I'm loving about this process is that this is an opportunity to think bigger than 
just the annual budget cycle that might come up and think, what do we really want? I think Ed has said it before when, when he said, you know, let's shoot for the best thing that we could possibly want. And who knows if we'll quite get exactly there, but this is the chance to, to at least envision it and try to come up with it. Um, yes, Sally. Hi. Um, this is a statement, not a question, but what I'm hoping is going to come out of these meetings, and I'm so thrilled about it, and um, I know sometimes tragedy happens, and that's what creates positive things come out of tragedy. And what I think Park City really needs, and I hope that's what's going to happen, is the accessibility to therapists. There's only one psychiatrist in this town. Is there a correction to that? Okay, well, as... One plus? <laughs> maybe one plus. Uh, and, and for the children that have mental issues and need psychiatry and need, um, you know, drugs prescribed for them, it's very, very difficult to get those appointments. It's very difficult to even find therapists in this town that are accessible sooner than later. Because usually when you have a teen or you have an adolescent, you can't wait two months. You can't wait six weeks for a test or um, a neuropsych test. Even those things take sometimes three months to get an appointment. And um, especially even to have a therapy appointment. It's very difficult to find that for your children, and on an immediate, uh, you know, sooner than later type of time frame. I think you're really hitting an important issue, and it just like aren't there aren't enough services available when we need them. And I do want to acknowledge that both uh, Intermountain Healthcare, here we are um, in their space, but also University of Utah with their Redstone Clinic, as well as many of the private uh, practitioners in the town, are looking at ways to. Uh, increase what they offer. I mean, they're actively adding people um, as we speak and looking at ways to do even more of that. They're also using some interesting techniques like telemedicine. You know, we may not always find that totally satisfactory, but for some cases it really works very well and it connects a resource that just otherwise wouldn't be there quickly. And that issue of wait times is one that came right out of the mental health needs assessment survey. You know, people are often waiting four to six weeks, sometimes even more, and that does not make sense when you need services now. How, you know, wow, so how do you get through the four to six weeks? So I really appreciate your... your Even opinion. for me, on a personal note, I felt that the one person in this room that really saved me and my family was Sam. And she was there immediately. <laughs> and I Immediately. Thank you. Um, right behind you, I think Anne may want to respond. Anne Asman is with uh, University of Utah. Yeah, I just want to mention that um, at the Redstone Clinic, we do have the capabilities of setting up consultations with psychiatrists, whether they be child, adolescent, or adult, through a program that's called GATE, G-A-T-E, but that needs to be done through the primary care doc. So. If you don't feel as though you're being addressed in a timely manner, you could specifically ask to set up a gate consult. And that can be done much more quickly. But and what, that. Well, and what, so, two things. One, one thing I just want to acknowledge that Leon this morning talked a little bit about integration of care, and that's talking about getting the primary practitioner more aware and more capable of being able to handle, or at least be able to refer, uh, mental health issues, and so that's absolutely something that we see 
being promoted in the healthcare systems around us, and I think it's a, it's a big thing. Right. How do we know about this is a great question. I want to acknowledge Connect, because one of the things, as Lynn mentioned, that they're trying to do is make that information available initially on their website, but the bigger question that I think Ed is also working on the, the services group with is, what's the information hub? Like, how do we really know? Where's an easy first place to turn to and say, I think I need this, what do you suggest? And be able to just get to it. Well, I believe in this community also, I, I think a lot of the parents and just the way the families are, think, this is never gonna happen to me. Me? I, you know, this is not gonna, and so when it does happen, it's like an earthquake, and the earth just opens up, and you're swallowed in it. So not knowing what gate is and not knowing where to go because you never think this is going to happen to you. It's very hard. Totally agree. Jenny, I think, had, a, had something. There's a... So what are we doing? Sorry. What are we doing and how are we outreaching our Latino and Hispanic community with this issue? Um, a couple of thoughts about that. I mean, first of all, I want to acknowledge that that's... A, a, Definitely something that we need to take into account and make sure that if there are different needs for different sectors of the population, we should be working with that. Um, you were formerly with People's Health Clinic, and I'm glad to say that uh, that um, they are very involved in this process. Uh, we also have Eric Esquivel, who is Park City School District's um, Latino Outreach Coordinator. I don't think I've got his title quite right, but he's a member of our steering committee. And when we met the other day with the um, with the first meeting ever of the Communities That Care Work Group to get that work started. Um, we have uh, a parent from the school system, Griselda Rocha, came and was a part of that group, and my colleague Diego was there. Um, and so I, I guess what I'm trying to say is we're conscious of that. I think so, a couple of the challenges that we face, let me just acknowledge them. One is making sure we're, we're addressing the needs of the Latino population as well as everybody else. The other is we've been talking about this as a countywide effort and making sure that the folks in Colville, in Camas, in Oakley, Francis, Hennifer, you know, are, are part of this process is really important, and I think it's still a work in progress. We're very lucky to have the superintendent of schools, both for North Summit and South Summit, as well as Park City School District, on the overall steering committee and on the Communities That Care work group. So that's a start. We have a student um, who's going to be on the, on the Communities That Care panel in a little while um, from South Summit, Tara Beasley. She's just joined that process. Uh, and we're, so I just want to say that thank you for bringing up the fact that we might forget certain parts of our own community, and we shouldn't. We need to bring that in. So if you notice something missing, don't be afraid to flag it, and, and then make the suggestion as to who should we involve. <coughs> In relation to the Latinx community, we're actually going to be starting another new committee with all of this happening, focusing on those uh, elements of the community. We've reached out over in the canvas to try to get some east side representation. I'm currently meeting with a lot of these people that um, Ollie just mentioned to find a way that we can, how we can get that involved. So if you'd like to be involved, Come talk to me afterwards. We'd love to have more people on that committee. So that was Aaron Newman, our new mental health and substance abuse coordinator for the county. All right, Aaron, thank you. Um, I think what we had, yes. I just have a couple comments. And one is um, I'm involved with Connect. And one thing that I um, very much appreciate is the pace at which Connect is moving to make a difference in this community. Um, on another note, um, four years ago, my substance abusing brother-in-law um, who we personally detoxed at home multiple times because there were no resources to do so in this county. 
um, unfunded, obviously, no vehicle to drive to the resources in Salt Lake City. Um, ended up taking his own life, committed suicide four years ago. Um, and I just hope out of this meeting what happens is um, uh, the traction um, that we are obviously going to get from this meeting and the advice we've heard from Leon Evans is um, uh, just the, the pace. I hope the pace picks up and it doesn't take a tragedy like you first opened this meeting with to get us to move more quickly. You know, my family has lost a life and, uh, you know, thanks to many people in this room, and I'll give a shout out to Sam too. Um, my daughter, who suffered from depression, did not. So I just, I hope that is the message that we're hearing. We move, we need to move more quickly than 17 years. So I just, I hope the traction that the group I am proud to be involved with is moving is emulated by many people here. I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you for sharing about that. And I, I do want to say, in terms of the pace of this effort, it's going to feel frustrating at times. So I guess I have two thoughts about that. One is, first of all, the fact that we're doing a big planning process and trying to make a big difference for the whole community, don't let that slow you down. If you've got something good that you're working on, you know, don't wait for us to give you permission. You know, go for it. Do the good stuff while you can. However, we want to try to create something that's systemic that is sustainable, that's gonna work over the long haul. So I think it's worth putting some time into and real thought into what could be. Once we start visualizing what could be and getting smart about which pieces make the most sense for us, there's gonna be a few things that are relatively easy to get started on. Let's let those encourage us because we can make some immediate progress. There may be things that we can't change without a change in federal law. You know, who knows? We might bump up against something like that. So let's start mobilizing on that front too. But hey, that might take us four or five years to change. So I just want to acknowledge that there, I think there is an underlying sense of frustration that comes along with this. And I think we both have to be patient with that. But you know what? Let the frustration light the fire under us. Let's let it push us along. So when you're feeling that, when you're feeling like, what the hell are we doing here? You know, why can't we move faster? Um, don't be afraid to say it. Just go ahead and, and, uh, and you know, maybe they'll wake the rest of us back up and say, oh yeah, gosh, we're all bogged down in these stupid meetings. Let, let's get something done. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, <coughs> Kathy. <coughs> microphone behind you. Thank you. Um, there was just two things I want to say. Um, I guess I want to put a plug into something that is available in the community. Um, uh, there is a... Um, Summit County Suicide Prevention Coalition and Alyssa Mitchell from the Health Department and myself from Valley Behavioral Health. Um, we work on that together and there is a training that's called QPR that we would love for anybody in the community to take advantage of and it um, just lasts about an hour and a half. We will provide, either Alyssa or myself will provide it for free and um, you know, just you can just contact you know the health department or Valley, and you know we can provide that for you know any group. And I don't know about Alyssa. I'm assuming she would feel the same way that I do, but I'll do it for as few as four people. You know, so it's not like I have to have a room full to um, you know do the presentation. The other thing that I wanted to mention before 
this ended, and it's probably, it might be a little pre premature, maybe um, it would have been better at the very end, but I didn't want to miss the opportunity, is that um, I just want to thank Park City Foundation so much, because this would not be happening if it wasn't for them. I know I've been involved trying to get a Communities That Care Coalition going for about four years, and it's not that people um, weren't interested or weren't committed to it, but everybody had so many responsibilities themselves to try to take care of that they did not have the time to put in it. And I just really want to thank them because we would not be here without them. And especially with Ollie. Isn't he amazing? I just... No, and I, I am a person that, that does not say anything I don't mean. You will not hear flop coming out of my mouth ever. And so I just really um, am so appreciative of him. Um, I just I just can't say it enough. So thank you to Ollie and to um, Park City Foundation. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you so much. And, and I would definitely encourage you, I'm just going to gloss over that last part you talked about, but, um, but I definitely encourage you to reach out to Kathy. Uh, she's with Valley Behavioral Health, and she and her colleague Pamela Bello run their prevention efforts for Summit County, uh, and they are a terrific resource. I actually didn't know about the work they did until I started getting involved in this, and they're very open to, uh, you know, doing stuff now. Uh, so, yeah, please be in touch. I think we had Hillary. I think you had a, a talk. I think Park City is such a unique opportunity for uh, because we have many, many people coming in from all over to retire. And I, we have teachers, we have counselors, we have CEOs, accountants, and we need to, to there needs to be a place where we can find opportunities for ourselves in our profession if we want to continue in our profession or if someone wants to do something totally different. They're tired of whatever they're doing and they want to learn and do something different. See me, I'll take you. <laughs> <laughs> Volunteer opportunities that people help them. But thank you for mentioning that. And I do just actually want to acknowledge that um, uh, Lynn Rutan has been a great advocate for us remembering. I was talking about constituencies that we might forget. Seniors, hopefully we won't forget, but that we definitely want to uh, to keep in mind also the needs of folks who have retired here or uh, have lived here all their lives and are at a different um, stage in their lives. So, um, so thank you for mentioning that. that that's really good. I think. Uh, yeah, Sam, Sam Walsh um, with Intervention Counselor at Park City High School. I, copying off of you, Kathy, putting a, sh a little plug in for something that is going on right now. Starting this Monday, we have local author and um, mindfulness expert Rebecca Brenner starting our second six-week series for mindfulness for teenagers at the high school. It starts at 1.50 right after our early out on Monday. So from 1.50 to 2.30, students can come in for free and learn um, stress reduction, um, increasing life joy and satisfaction skills. Mindfulness help, helps um, increase test scores. Um, so that's something we're doing for our students right now. And this was an effort of several grants we wrote um, to provide additional supports to students this year. So please send your teenagers out. It starts this Monday. It'll be for six weeks that goes throughout the testing season. Thank you so much, Sam. And actually, that's an opportunity for me to acknowledge that our community actually is already working toward these goals. I think we, 
folks have their heart in this already. If you ask Roy Parker about the criminal justice system in this community, he makes clear that the police department, the sheriff's department, the judges, the prosecutors, the defenders, they really have the interests of the, the person that is, they're confronted with in, in mind. They want to find solutions. They don't want those people going to the wrong place that doesn't really fit their situation. Um, and the school system too, I mean, you guys have been absolutely ramping up your efforts. So I just want to acknowledge that we're doing this work in a very positive context. Things are, are already changing for the positive, so we're really just building on something something very strong. I think we'll just take maybe one or two more comments, and then Rich will come and uh, wrap us up and lead us to our, our breakout sessions. Um, I'm going to take Petra, and then I think Shauna had a word she wanted to say as well. And Ali, I just want to piggyback off of what you just had to say. I think um, for a lot of people sitting in this room, they may not be aware of all the wonderful things that are happening in the Park City School District. And so I'd like to give a shout out to Sam and to Allison and to Laura and to the superintendent sitting behind me because we haven't done a really good job of getting that information out. I mean, the services that we have included into our schools are very, very impressive. And we want to hear from the community. If you have issues that need to be addressed, reach out to the superintendent, reach out to the administrators at your school, reach out to the school board. But we have great things that are happening because we've got partnerships with so many different people in the community, but we're working on it. We want you to know that we're aware of the issues and it's a community that needs to come together to solve these issues, not just the school district. Thank you very much, Petra. And Shauna? Thank you, Petra and Sam and Ember Conley. Um, I just wanted to let you all know that um, in the brochure from May Mental Health Awareness Month, what you won't see is a wonderful program that we're putting on with the Park City School District. And it is of the students, by the students, and for the students. And it's actually a mental health program that the students came up with themselves. We are going to have Dr. Lopez Larson. She's a psychiatrist here um, with IHC. She's gonna come speak with the students. We're going to have therapy dogs. We're going to have Kevin Hines come as a featured speaker. Kevin um, suffered from bipolar disorder when he was 20 years old, uh, jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and survived. And so he is going to, um, during a PM assembly on May 17th, speak to all of the high school students and the Learning Center students. Um, we're also going to have Basin Recreation come and talk to the kids about health, brain health. Um, we're going to have a dinner one night uh, with nutritionist Kate Egan, uh, Quentin Kemp, a mental health counselor. So I just want to let you know that we're very aware of the struggles of our children. I have a student in the district and that we try to be very responsive to their needs. And again, thank you all for coming today. There is so much hope in this room. It is so inspiring and I thank you all. Thank you, Shauna. I, I see one more. Let's take this as our last comment, and then I think we'll we'll, um, we'll wrap up. Thanks. Uh, I'm new to the Park City area. I moved here about a month ago. Uh, but before I came here, a couple of days before I was supposed to move, I had a cousin who um, overdosed. Um, but out of that tragedy, we were able to set up a uh, what we're calling a scholarship bed. Um, so even though it's not in this area, if you or anyone you know needs um, help dealing with substance abuse, we have the 
a bed in a recovery center in Florida that is totally free, no charge, so they can get the help that they need. So if you know someone who's struggling uh, with substance abuse, addiction, get in touch with me and um, I can direct them to a bed that's set up um, in a recovery center in Florida. It's absolutely free, no charge to them, and we can get them hooked up with transportation and everything and they can get uh, the help that they need. Tell us your name again. Hayden Court. Hayden Court, C-O-R-R. Great, thank you. And thank you so much to you and your family for doing that. We have started hearing about somewhat, one or two somewhat similar initiatives in Utah. And one of the things that our work groups are gonna do is go visit some, you know, one or two and see, how did you do a community? How did you get this together to have a dedicated bed like that? The fact that your family came together and did that is just terrific and awesome. And so thank you very much for that. So, Rich come up in a second, but I want to say a couple things first, just on the logistics side. He's going to tell you where the breakout sessions are. I think it's also on your agenda. They're due to start in about 10 minutes. One of them is in here. So when we're done in here, if you guys could just sort of, you know, get on out of here, unless you want to stay for the, the uh, youth prevention um, panel, that'd be awesome. Uh, and then beyond that, I really just want to thank you all who are here, also those who didn't make it today, but were interested in this and working on it. Uh, and with that, I'm going to hand it over to Rich Bolo to wrap us up. Thank you. So, um, first of all, thanks everybody for coming. And I, I do want to again recognize Eric and the communications workers. They really pulled out all the plugs to get the word out, and, and we appreciate that. Um, several times Leon mentioned the word team. And uh, we did a, uh, what, about two years ago, a group of us went out to Grand Junction and looked at some of the programs they were doing there. They use the same word over and over and over, team. Um, they also said over and over that success, the biggest determinant of success is having the right players on the team and playing well together. And, and for me, as I look at the group of people in the room, that, that's the message that I see. Um, we've, we've talked about hope, it's here. Um, but the fact that, that in Summit County, we play well together. We're, we're a group of people that have common interests, we have resource, and we can focus those things to really do great stuff. And, and so I, I'm optimistic. I think uh, you know the path has just begun, but we're going to be in a very different place, um, I, I think, relatively soon, and hopefully sooner than 17 years. But uh, So awesome, awesome stuff, and thank you for coming. Uh, I do want to give you uh, some, some updates on the groups. We've got a youth prevention that works, communities that care, uh, group that is going to meet. It's room 1, A and B. Which is right here. Right here. And again, that's focused on the preventive programs for youth. Um, what can be done? The professional perspective is in classroom 1C. Which direction is that? Right next door to this, that way. Perfect. See, I don't, you don't even need me. It's this guy. <laughs> uh, mental health and substance abuse in the criminal justice setting is that way. Rooms 2 and 3 and personal stories, there is hope, is in room four, classroom four. All the way back. Well, that's confusing. <laughs> I didn't know four is that way, two and three is that way. Um, figure it out. Um, so again, thanks for coming. Um, I, I encourage everybody, you're here for a reason. And when we get to that issue of team, I encourage everybody to join us in, in what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish. Um, Ollie, at the very start of this, said, this is a community initiative. Um, that is the only way that it can be sustainable. Um, that is the only way that it can be systematic. 
and we need your help in doing that. So thanks.